As we embark on the senior pastor series every September, I have chosen the book of Jonah. And the first chapter, we talk about how we are called to obey. Everything starts with obedience. Nothing happens without obedience to God. And we, are, we want to be obe- obedient to God to be a vibrant church of disciple makers. And the important thing is to do it consistently over a long period of time. We don't have a new vision every year. We don't have a new topics or new theme every year. One year is not enough. We need to spend a lifetime just to carry out this vision of being a vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally. We are far from it, but we are going in that same direction together. And the last week, the second message we preach about, we are called to pray. We need to pray. Pray like everything depends on it. That's how desperate we need to pray. So we call the church to pray. How's your prayer life after the last preaching? I hope that something has happened as you allow space. Remember how Eugene Peterson reminds us, you need time and you need space. Craft out the time and craft out the space to spend time in prayer. And today's the third message. We are called to proclaim. We are called to proclaim. Okay, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Let me read to you as you follow along with the uh, PowerPoint. Uh, please help me to click PowerPoint. Uh, help me. Thank you. Okay, chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Then the, Lord of the Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What a good ending. He did not do it. They have a chance to live. They have a chance to do things right again. Let's begin with the obedience of Jonah. That's what we are looking for. The, the prophet is supposed to, 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 to uh, respect and supposed to obey God, but he did not. He ran away to Tarshish in the opposite direction, and with the storm and with the fish, and in the prayer in the belly of fish, finally he came to his senses, the obedience of Jonah, verses 1 to 4. Jonah was given a second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You know, not everybody will give you a second chance. Have you ever thought, what if Jonah was given a one strike and you are out kind of a deal? What will happen to Jonah? What will happen to Nineveh? 
Can you imagine in the heavens, the archangel Gabriel as the HR manager in heaven and he says to God, God, I'm sorry that Jonah didn't work out. Let me send you the resumes of a few qualified individuals for you to consider for the position that Jonah has left vacant. The HR department recommends three months of severance pay for Jonah and will extend his medical insurance coverage for up to six months or until his next employment, whichever comes first. But with his poor track record with us, it is not likely that he will find another employment. I think he's done for being a prophet. I'll update you if there's any new development. But in the meantime, please look at the resumes and let me know who you want to interview to take Jonah's place to go to Nineveh. Thank you, sir. It sounds familiar in your today's setting, but that kind of scenario did not happen. It was imagination because God gave Jonah second chance. But what if the second chance evokes, evolves into another second chance and another second chance and another second chance, which you and I can relate to? How many times do you have a second chance from God? Over and over again because we are imperfect and we live in an imperfect world. God's heart is such that every time you turn around, He will give you a second chance. God's heart is such that every time, every time you turn around, He will give you a second chance. Hear the anguish of God when Israel rebelled against Him repeatedly in the book of Hosea. The next slide, Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. God says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Edma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Edma and Zeboim were the two small cities that were destroyed when God destroyed Saddam and Gomorrah. He says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. That's the blessings of God. A God of second chance. Whenever we return to Him. Because God is love. In verse 2, the mission of Nineveh is relaunched. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. The mission is relaunched because God calls again. He calls until we respond and obey. As I mentioned in the past, Nineveh is about 500 miles from Israel. That's about one month journey on camel's back. And a few months journey if you're walking through terrains and deserts, places and things like that. Again, he mentioned it is a great city. And as I mentioned in the past message, uh, in the past few weeks, uh, the great city is great in influence. It is great in sin, in wickedness. It is great in God's concern as well. God cares about Nineveh. That's why he sent 
Jonah to speak to the city of Nineveh. I like the way this professor of theology and ethics, Louis Smith, a local one around here, he passed a few years ago. This is how he describes city. He said, like any city, it has the best and the worst. It is a center of culture, has the best schools, best hospitals, best theater, best music, the highest technology, a great place to live. But here also are the loneliest people, the craziest lifestyles, the most corrupt politics, the most blatant immoralities, and above all, the worst violence. Sounds like L.A.? Confronting a great city like that can be intimidating. You feel so little and too weak to even confront. But the book of Jonah reminds us that city can be changed as the city of Nineveh. City can be changed if God begins to work in the midst of the city, if the messenger is willing to obey God and go accordingly. The message has not been told to Jonah. He must go to Nineveh before it is revealed to him. But Jonah knows that it will be a message against its wickedness. Because in chapter 1, verse 2, God has already revealed, God said, for their evil has come up before me. So that must be the focus of the message. And then in verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. You know, I love this verse, especially the first part. So Jonah, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. If you so right, don't you feel the same way as you read that? God speaks, God's servant obeys. God calls, the church responds. God commissions, we go together. God says, we listen. Isn't that the rightful consequence, the rightful follow-up actions of God's prompting. That should be the way. It feels so good to read that verse after we have gone through chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it reminds us that it is a three days journey in breadth of the city. Traditionally, that's how we understand this part of the verse here. That it means the city of Nineveh uh, from one end to the other end takes about three days walk. But archaeological ruin of the city of Nineveh speaks against that. Because as they dug out that city, the whole perimeter of that city was about eight miles. So if that city is like a squish shape, it's about two miles across. It doesn't take three days to walk across that city. And even if it's a flat line, horizontally, seven and a half mile city, you know, half a day will make that. So most likely, that three days' breath of that city means Jonah has to preach in all the public squares that he can gather the Ninevites and gather the people and able to reach the whole population. It takes about three days. That will be more likely to what it means there. Verse 4 tells us a message. Then he began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the message. Eight words in English, 
five words in Hebrew. A very short message. But of course, the whole message should be longer. Here is the main point of the message here. You know, Jonah has choices. A speaker, a public speaker, a preacher has choices. How do you prepare your message? And what is your direction? And what is your focus, right? Even the same passage, when you hear it from different pastors, it comes out differently. Jonah could have preached about his deliverance from the raging storm and the belly of that big fish and how he was spit up back to the, back to the land, right? It is more sensational. It is more dramatic for sure. And it's attention-getting. But he preached what God has told him to. Not a politically correct message, not a crowd-pleasing message, but a message of doom. And not very popular message. And as we look at that message and the impact and power of that message that every preacher longs for, that impact, it's easy to deliver a message in 40 minutes, but that impact, will it be able to linger on? We don't know. Only the Holy Spirit can work in your heart. But that impact in the city of Nineveh was just amazing. Why is Jonah's message so effective? Because God is doing, God is working. But look at that message. Let's focus on the message. For 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. He has a sense of urgency. It's 40 days. Handwriting is on a wall. Your days are numbered. There's a sense of urgency. Secondly, it is personal. You speak about Nineveh to the Ninevites. You don't talk about Cairo or Jerusalem in Nineveh. They don't care. But when you talk about the future of Nineveh, the Ninevites' ear pricks up and says, what happened? You have a sense of urgency. It is personal. And thirdly, it spells out the consequence. Do it now or else. There's consequence. When you speak a message in Sunday school or Bible study or on Sunday sermons, when there's a sense of urgency, when it is personal and it speaks out the consequences, people begin to listen. That's the content of the message to make it so powerful. Secondly, some commentators mention the sellers of the ship that Jonah was a part of, remember? Commentators imagine that maybe the sellers might have spread the word about God's miraculous work in calming the storm when these sellers landed in the port city of Joppa and word spreads to Nineveh. So they heard about this legendary Jonah who had a special encounter with God and he's coming. So there was anticipation. Okay, it was not proven. It was not recorded in the Bible, but it is likely. We're not, we don't know for sure. Thirdly, from history, Tim Keller mentioned that historians have pointed out that about the time of Jonah's mission, Assyria, the kingdom Assyria that Nineveh belongs to, had experienced a series of famines and plagues and revolts and eclipses, lunar eclipse, solar eclipse, all of which were seen as omens 
of far worse things to come for ancient people. So there was an anticipation, there was an anxiety that was already being built in the Ninevites' heart. God has prepared the timing and the condition of the people, the good soil for the seeds to grow and for them to respond to Him. Only God can do that. We long for what Jonah can do as an impact as a public speaker, but we can't create those environments. We can't create what happened in your heart. You come with different conditions. Some are happy, some are unhappy, some struggle, some don't. Some are relatively calm. Others sitting there, they recoil. They think about other things because they are caught into something that they can't control. I can't control that when you come, but only God can convict you of his message and bring that into your heart. You know, an obedient servant does a great thing to even bring the best outcome of the destiny of a city. How did God deal with some of his reluctant servants? You want to obey, but you have reservation. Is God going to help me? There are some men of characters in the Bible that we can consider if you are in that situation. For Moses, God brings Aaron to help in terms of being eloquent in speech and able to communicate. For Gideon, who has to use only 300 faithful men to fight against the Midianites, about 125,000 people. That was pretty intimidating. But God assured him through the dream of the Midianites that victory belongs to the Lord. That's how he dealt with Gideon. For Esther, God reminds her that if she refuses, it's okay. God says, I'll choose someone else. Things will be done, but not through you. You are given a special privilege. Would you be willing to do that as a queen? If not, deliverance will come from somewhere else. Would you do that? For Peter, who has denied the Lord three times, God asked for recommitment. And for King Saul, God replaced him with David as the successor. God deals with different individuals differently, even though they were reluctant. I don't know where you are. Are there some reluctance that God is dealing with you today as you hear his word and wonder, I can't do it, can I do it? I can't do it, can I do it? Can you help me? Is God going to raise someone else to help me? Or this is the only chance I better grab it. You have to respond to God and the Spirit's working in your heart. The obedience of Jonah. Secondly, let's go to the repentance of the Ninevites. Verses 5 to 9. The next slide. First of all, let's look at the Ninevites. Verse 5. All the people of Ninevites believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Amazingly, they obeyed. They believed God. They trust the word that they have heard to be a true and reliable word for them from God through the lips of Jonah. Amazing. These pagan believers heard the message for the first time and they responded in a very positive way. 
and, and they responded in deep repentance and, and grievance. They were fasting as a means to seek God's mercy. They were putting on sackcloth as a symbol of repentance. And the repentance were widespread from the greatest to the least of them. The city was not overthrown because the Ninevites were overthrown. They were turned upside down in their wicked way so that the city can be preserved and God's mercy can be extended to them. But not only the Levites, secondly, the king, those in power, the royal families, verses 6 to 9, the word reached the king, and he also believed what Jonah, Jonah's preaching is from God, and he says he leaves his throne in a sign of repentance. Notice the king intensifies what the Ninevites have already done in fasting and weary sackcloth by including the animals as well and added on no drinking of water as a show of their sincerity. And he decrees that all should pray to God mightily, earnestly, and give out their evil ways and their violence. The king bought in as well. The king was demonstrating his sincerity in repentance. So the king was overthrown as well. He was overthrown from his throne into humility and repentance, just like the Ninevites. So the repentance was thorough. From king to people, from the greatest to the least, even animals are included in a show of repentance. And they call on God earnestly. They're humble before God. And verse 9 says, Who knows? Who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And with that statement, the king surrenders himself and the city to God's mercy. Have mercy, God. Have mercy. We have no say. You have every say. But be merciful to us in the most sincere way of repenting before God. Is that the greatest revival in history? Is that the greatest way of turning to God in droves? Most commentators do not consider what happened in Nineveh as a spiritual revival. It is a revival, but not in spiritual in nature. There's no evidence of conversion to faith in the Lord. There's no mention of a covenant relationship with God. There's no mention of forsaking their gods and idols. There's no offering of sacrifices to the Lord. Then what it is? And why is God calling his prophet Jonah to go and proclaim? Well, it is more like a social reform. Most commentators would say it is a social reform against violence and oppression and exploitation. It is like what Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. did for the civil rights movement in our land here. They were social reform, but they were no spiritual revival. Maybe individually, but not in the widespread, in a big way. And thank God in their humility and by God's mercy, God relents from his threat to destroy the city. So if that's the social reform that prophet Jonah bring about? Is it teaching our church that we should focus on social services? 
Tim Keller explains that Jonah did not go to Nineveh to do social work. He went to preach God's judgment. And this is how he said, let me quote, Without understanding the wrath of God, it is impossible to fully understand why so many societies and empires and institutions and lives break down. God has created the world so that cruelty and greed and exploitation have, listen, have natural disintegrative consequences. God brings people together that is based on love, respect. But when this community evolves into violence and wickedness, there is a natural disintegrative consequences. It will break down. That are a manifestation of his anger against evil. No empire ever survived by wickedness and violence as a way to secure their kingdom. None. Zero. Because that's not the way how God created us. The righteous ones, though minor minorities, the light will shine brighter, ultimately. It may take a lot of sacrifices, it may take a long time, but ultimately, he will overcome the darkness. He says this text encourages us to do both. God seeks social reform through his prophet, a change in the Ninevites' exploitation and violent behavior. Yet, he also directs that the city should be told about a God of wrath who will punish sin. And that is a very good reminder for us who do community outreach as we open up our church for Red Cross, as we open up our church for helping low-income families to do tax filing, and more to come, we want to connect with the community. We are reminded that if we only dwell in services, we are doing welfare. You cannot miss out God when we do services, when we serve people. The gospel cannot be excluded in there. It has to be married together for the church to be the church of Jesus Christ. We see Jonah as an obedient servant. Even one and one individual can make a difference. And you can make a difference too. One individual can make a difference. And to be given a second chance is truly a privilege. So don't take it lightly. If God gives you a second chance, if someone or some institution or ministry gives you a second chance, don't take it lightly. Take up that privilege and do what God calls you to do. And with that, finally, the compassion of God. Started with the obedience of Jonah, brought about repentance of Ninevites. Now we see the compassion of God in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he has said he would do to them. And he did not do it. He did not do it. You know, as we come together in this message here and look at how the city 
respond to God in this amazing way. We can't help but to think, how is God's compassion able to connect, able to reach out to the Ninevites? What does it mean that God relented? If you hold a Bible with a different version, it says God regrets. If God never sinned, how can God regret? The word can be translated as regret, but when you apply that to God, it means God is sorrowful for sinners when he sees their action and response to the point where his compassion follows suit. His compassion is extended. His heart is always to be compassionate to his creation. And when people begin to come under the blessings of his compassion, God is willing to change his way. His heart never change. That's his attribute. But he's willing to relent and allow them to have a chance to be recipients of God's blessing and God's mercy. That's a blessing. And it is also reiterated in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 7 to 8, in the next light. If at any time, it says, I declare concerning a nation of a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And that's God's heart. When we are able to, we are willing to repent, He always extends his mercies to us. You know, Jonah can't wait to preach judgment to the Ninevites because it feels right. They deserve it. But Jonah suspects that God might just slip in his compassion when he sees any sign of repentance. That's the nature of God. Jonah knows that God's judgment always implies the possibility of mercy. Whenever God proclaims judgment, there's always implies the possibility of mercy if you turn around, if you hear the message, if you get it, if you're right with God. Jonah was so disappointed with the outcome of his preaching that he engages in a heated argument with God in chapter 4. And that will be our last message of Jonah for next week. But today's message is our second chance to obey God provides others a first chance to be right with God. Hear it again. Our second chance, when we disobey, when we are refusal, when we are stubborn, but if you ever come to the second chance and say we obey God, that will provide others a first chance to be right with God. When you obey, when you are willing to share your life story, when you are willing to preach the gospel, you give others a first chance to be right with God. But Jonah is a type for Jesus. He's an Old Testament representation of Jesus. Picture Jesus. So 800 years later, Jesus shows up in the land of Jerusalem, in the land of Judah. Jesus is a true and better Jonah. He offers himself to die on the cross for our sins, to give everyone a chance to be reconciled with God that everyone will have a chance to say, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. 
and everyone deserves a chance to be able to say that. Who knows? If I repent, God may be merciful to me because He is sovereign and I am at His mercy. You know, we need to pray for our city. We need to proclaim to our city faithfully that, and yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. In our context, at God's appointed time, LA will be judged because we know very well that our evils have come up before God, right? You know, many expect the Great Britons to disintegrate after the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Monday will be the funeral. And that the Commonwealth of Nations will dissolve because they can't see anyone who is able to pull them together. It is already disintegrating. Scotland asked for independence and others as well. We don't know how that will evolve. But let's come back to us here. You know, preach Ninima to the Ninimites. Preach U.S. to the Americans. We don't know the destiny of our nation either. What we know, this is what we know. What we know is that we are like Nineveh. Full of violence, crimes, and hatred. That we know. And our evil has come up before God, just like the Ninevites. That if we continue to take the route of forsaking God by redefining biblical truths about gender, about marriage, about sacredness of life, sanctity of life, if we continue to indulge ourselves in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it will just be a matter of time that our society will disintegrate, and so will our nation. History has proven that. Great kingdom, great empire, disintegrated because of wickedness and evil, and not because their military might is diminished. Our pastors will preach faithfully the truth of the Bible. But you know, you are everyday missionaries. You preach faithfully the truth of the Bible by living the truth in the marketplace, in family, in school, and in neighborhood. So actually, we preach together. We preach here. You go out the four walls, you preach too. You preach by living out that truth in your marketplace, in your family, in your school, and in your neighborhood. So pray for your unreasonable supervisors and ask, seek God to have a platform where you guys can communicate. Ask God to open up a conversation with your difficult colleagues. It seems impossible, just like Nineveh, but when Jonah obeyed, things open up. Opportunities open up. Talk to your neighbors, your high neighbor, not low neighbor, but high neighbor, the neighbor you always say hi to, and that's it. Hi, hi, hi. But go beyond that. How are you doing? Pew Research, Pew Religious Research Projects came out lately, and it was not, it was not good. 
It predicts by 2070, 50 years later, the percentage of people who claim to be Christians, just claim to be Christians, right? Not even committed, right? Claim to be Christians will decline from the current 64% to 46% 50 years later, if, that's if, the downward trend is consistent, right? Consistently downward trend. And it will fall to 35% only if the downward trend accelerates and the downward trend has been accelerating for the, 20, for the past 20 years. So not barring revival. If there's a revival breaking up in our nation, they can turn things around. Of course, God can do that. Pew's research predicts that slightly less than 40% of the population will say they are Christians in 2070, 50 years later. And that's only those who claim to be Christians. Whether they go to church, read the Bible, committed to the inerrant word of God, we don't know. And that number can be much smaller. So church, more than ever, more than ever, the book of Jonah is so relevant to our days. More than ever, we need to obey, we need to pray, and we need to proclaim. But the message of Jonah gives us hope. The message of Jonah gives us hope that there is hope even for big cities and evil cities and wicked cities. There's hope in our obeying. There's hope in our praying. There's hope in our proclaiming that who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Our city may not perish. Our nation may not disintegrate. Who knows? Who knows? Let us pray. Lord, this is our plea before you that if we continue to dwell in a wicked way and indulge in a kind of lifestyle that we are highlighting, we know that, Lord, we are walking against you, working against the will of God. And ultimately, we may tumble, we may disintegrate. So today we ask you, we ask you to bring revival to our individual hearts. We ask you to bring revival to our church. The church is the light and the soul of the community anyway. We pray that you will bring revival to our nation. Because who knows? God may revert his judgment and bring blessings to us. Hear us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.